You're listening to Faith in the Real World, presented by St. John's Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Graham Zima. This podcast, hosted by myself and Pastor Mark Tede, discusses topics and ideas surrounding faith in exactly as the title says, a real-world context. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to our YouTube page. And if you would like to know more information on St. John's and all the different things we do as a church, log on to stjohnsmpls.org to learn more. That's stjohnsmpls.org. With that, let's dive in, and thank you for listening. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Faith in the Real World. I am Graham Zima. And I am Pastor Mark. And thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. Pastor Mark, your question for today is, dun, dun, dun. how can we reconcile God being all-knowing if we as humans have free will? Okay, first thing, you got to stop asking me these hard ones. <laughs> no, no, it's too much fun, too much fun. <laughs> How do we rec- say it again? How do we reconcile God's omniscient, all knowing, yep, with us having free will? Exactly. Well, the real answer is I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can reconcile that. Partly, I say that, and I don't say that flippantly. I, a signing of that God knows everything is something that I'm not sure is actually in the Bible. Now, we say that knowing all things, seeing all things, um, is an attribute of a divine being. I think that is in our spiritual DNA. But I wonder sometimes if, in fact, that when God incarnates God's self in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, right? When God takes on human form and grows into this man that we know as Jesus, that God might have just, in fact, chosen to give up God's godness and chooses to become finite, frail. I mean, if we think about this, what we call in the church the incarnation, right? The God with flesh on, God in the flesh, God in a human form. It, 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 that's what Jesus is for Christians. And if we look at it from that perspective, we have the all-knowing, all-ever, infinite Godhead in the womb of Mary, And she gives birth to this infant, and all human infants are unable to care for themselves. This means that God has chosen to become completely vulnerable, just like we are. Completely mortal, just like we are. And that incarnation then through the Christmas, right? That beautiful celebration of God being born into the human timeline as a baby. Growing into adulthood, suffering horribly as an adult, is crucified, dies, buried, remains dead, and on the third day is resurrected and goes and shows his resurrected self to the disciples and then into heaven. We know that in that time frame, we now know that God knows what it is to be finite, frail, not knowing most of everything. Our God experienced humanity, which is everything for us. Now, here's the question that I have is, 
why do we think God is all-knowing? What if God isn't all-knowing? And what if we have free will purely and simply because God did not want, he didn't want puppets on marionettes on strings that he pulls. God separated himself or herself. God separated God's self from the idea of fate, which is a Greek religion, uh, um, Greek mythology of the Greek God's system and Roman God system of the fates, these three blind women who knew the outcome of your life, the moment of your birth, the moment of, the, of your death, and when, when fate had run its course, they snipped your, your, your life thread. They cut it, and you die. And they, well, that's the end. That was your fate. For, and that's, that's, that's hanging around in our culture today when we have people who will say, everything happens for a reason. That assumes, that sentence, really, if you look at it on its face value, that sentence assumes that everything happens for a reason, meaning that God has already prescribed everything that you will do, everything you will say, everything that's done, every outcome possible to you. And therefore, God, it's, I think, some ways that people reconcile that God knows everything and that everything happens for a reason is because God is the author of everything. That means you don't have free will. It's not free will. It's fate. So all that is to say, I'm not sure we can say that God is all-knowing and that we have free will. I don't think that those necessarily coincide. But I do, And I find that really confining. I think that if it's, for me to say God is all-knowing, which I have said, I cheat. I change the rules. And I say, God does give me free will. And if I hold dear that, that God has all, no, all knowledge and all power, right? Omnipotence, omniscience, um, omnipresent. If, if all of those omni words are true, if that's true, if I need that in my own faith system, then God will also know I'm going to choose one of infinite number of decisions in my life, and God knows infinitely and instantly all of those outcomes, but doesn't control my decision. That's the only way I can make it make sense that we could have a God who knows all things, or we, we don't have, maybe we've got a God that gave that up. The moment that God creates sentient beings who can make decisions, maybe that's the moment where God says, I don't need that. Let's see where this goes. And now we still feel like God will read our minds, just like when uh, I have three kids, right? When my three kids were little children and toddlers, I know that there were times when they thought I was reading their mind because they would look at the cookie like six times. And I'd say, no, no. You, you cannot have that cookie before we eat supper. And they'd be mystified. How did, how did dad know that I was interested in eating that cookie? Well, they're telescope. I mean, they're totally telegraphing the fact that they want that cookie over there, right? They're looking, looking, and looking, and look one more time. And you're like, no, no. And so I'd put, take the cookie, put it on a plate, put it in the, in the cupboard, and then they'd be just totally disappointed because they were going to sneak, sneak it, uh, and I wasn't going to let that happen, not because then they weren't going to eat their supper. Did I know all things to them? Yeah. I was, they were mystified, mystically, that either dead knew what they were thinking. Sometimes I think that's with God. How much more intelligent is a, is a, is a parent over their toddler? 
well, a lot. How much more infinitely more intelligent is our maker to us? We're like toddlers to, to God all the time. And so I think there's some of those things that are going on. I mean, we, we do, if we have healthy parents or grandparents or healthy adults in our lives, we're mystified at how wise they are sometimes. Well, it's infinitely more for us when we say it. So I think we, uh, we attach this title of all-knowing to God. And there are spots in Scripture where that's poetically said. But we don't know if that's true. So it's an amazing process for us when we come through faith and you see God through the lens of Jesus that we, we do have free will, but we might not have a God. I mean, I think there are times we do stuff and it might surprise God because I think God, A, has a sense of humor. We don't give enough credit to that. I mean, if God doesn't have a sense of humor, how, how, in, how in the world do you explain the platypus? Right? Duckbill, beaver feet, beaver tail, venomous, mammal, lays eggs. What? It's like he had an extra box of animal parts and stuck them all together and said, hey, let's call that the platypus. <laughs> and we'll only have that animal only on Australia. Oh, and since we're there in Australia, let's make all these other weird animals too. I mean, it's just bizarre, Right? That shows me that God's got a sense of humor. He made me a pastor. That's funny. That's just hilarious. All of those things matter. Does that make that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So if we if we go and then say, and that's the one hand of of the all knowing. Now the question of do I actually have free will? That's another question. Because I need to believe that I have free will. I that's important to me personally. That's not I'm not being theological or anything. I need to know. If I'm driving down the road and I need to get somewhere faster, I know that I'm going to make the decision to break the law and go too fast. And there will be consequences if I am caught doing that. And there are probably consequences, like I burned through too much gas and wears on the tires. I mean, there's other consequences I don't even calculate. But I decided that. That was me. I need to know that. I did decide to accept the call to become a pastor. And I accepted the call to come to St. John's and serve these beautiful people as their pastor. That that was me. Or was it? (laughs) Did the Holy Spirit just grease the skids on those things so it really felt like my decision that I owned? It's, It's hard to always know the difference there. It's also the case, in the Lutheran world, we talk at the, that Luther in the 16th century had these two lectures. One was the freedom of the Christian and the bondage of the will. And what you boil that all the way down, and what Luther said is that in all matters of life decisions that we do, we have all freedom in the, of the will to do. God does not dictate what my favorite color is. God does not dictate what kind of car I'm going to drive or who I will marry, or what college I will choose to go to, or whether I go to college at all, or go to a trade school, or become you know plumber, electrician, go into the trades, or or if I, if I choose to just abandon society, walk out into the woods, that's all my choice. I do not have the freedom, or even the ability, to save myself from sin, death, and the power of the evil one. That it's outside our ability to do. 
because of our broken nature. We are products that we are created good. We are created beautiful and wonderfully made. In fact, when the scriptures talk about that God created human beings, it was very good. When God sees all that God had done and rested, he saw that everything was very good. And that matters, right? We're not we're not broken and therefore God casts us aside, right? And that broken word I'm using instead of the older word, which the church used to use all the time in talking about the human condition is broken. It was the, human, the human beings were sin, right? That we're not perfect, that we're, we, we don't hit the bullseye every time. We're off the mark. That is a definition in scripture of what is sin. That's not shameful. It's just as telling of the truth. And because we are broken, fallen, fallen from God's grace, kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? Because of that, we ultimately will rely on self more than God. And we think we can do it on our own when in fact we know we can't. And that's where we get stuck. And so we have freedom of the will on the one hand, but my will to save myself, forgive myself, that's not in there. That has to come from outside of a person. That is what Luther referred to when it's an antiquated word since Roswell, New Mexico. Right now we're all fascinated with aliens being people from a different planet. That word alien means not from here, outside of self. And Luther coined the phrase of alien righteousness. The, The righteousness from God is an alien righteousness to me, meaning it does not originate from within. It comes from without. It comes from God to me as gift through the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who abides. And so, on the one hand, you asked the question about free will, and I'm still on that topic. <laughs> on the one hand, we've got freedom of the will to choose what I want to do. And on the other hand, my will is bound because what I want to do with my righteousness, I won't do it. My generosity, the, the kindness, the loving forgiveness, I won't do it. And ultimately, I end up relying on my own, my own triune God, me, myself, and I, rather than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? And because of that, my will is bound. And I, I won't make the right decisions because I cannot. So I don't have that freedom of the will in that kingdom, in that world, that area of my life. On the other hand, I've got all the freedom of the world in my own life, in this kingdom. So Luther then divides that into what he calls the two kingdoms distinction. And then from the two t- kingdoms dis- this, um, distinction, he also then talks about how God's word works on us when we hear it and read it. It, it isn't always the same thing. We've talked about this before in other podcasts where you can read John three sixteen And for the God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And for one person, they say, that is the most beautiful Thing in the world. That is the gospel in the nutshell. That is the most beautiful, meaningful text for me in the world. And another person who will hear it can say, that is the most damning part of scripture ever because it comes with the condition that if you believe in him, then the promises are yours. But what about all those people on the planet who do not know Jesus, have never heard of Jesus, or have heard of Jesus, but it's been misused against them? Now they're out. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how the law works. God's law is almost a mystical entity. It affects the conscience. And so God's law in the Old Testament and in the New comes to us and affects us two ways. The first use of God's law just establishes order. The second use of God's law indicts 
and convicts and it does not yield. It just constantly comes at you. It's sort of that when you're standing buck naked in the bathroom and get out of the shower and you see yourself in the mirror and I look at myself and I say, how did I turn into such an old flabby man? How did that happen? It's just, it's just a mirror looking right back at you. And it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. I know it's an image of me. It is not me. But the law will come at me in such a way that it will make me feel like I'm less than. I'm not handsome. I'm not the person my wife married. And then you start thinking, why in the world is she still interested in me? And then you start thinking, I really am a slouch. I'm a worm. I am nothing. The second use of God's law affects you and ultimately drives a person to their knees in humiliation. That's where the gospel comes in. There is the first part of God's law that is in Scripture, whatever Scripture, and how, we, how it is heard on us, either establishing order or driving us to our knees. And the second thing is this, this good news of Jesus. And we call it good news because it is good news that God sees us exactly as we are and loves us for it and sets us free. That's the law gospel dialectic that works exactly in that two kingdom distinction, moving us to the point where we realize we cannot save ourselves. And we are, it is, it is, here's the philosophical words here or theological words here are, it is necessary for my salvation that it comes from, that salvation comes from God. That salvation comes from God is necessary for my own salvation. That can be heard as a law statement if you feel like the salvation is not yours, or it's a gospel statement when you realize that it is gift already given to you full bore. It is an automatic deposit planted in your soul's bank account. It is there. It is yours. You cannot make God love you anymore because God has already loved you infinitely more than you realize you could possibly be worth. This is the gospel, and it liberates and sets us free precisely in that kingdom where we have no freedom of the will. So how do we reconcile? Freedom of the will on the one hand and an all-knowing God on the other. I think we shouldn't try to reconcile it. I think we need to hold all of that intention and realize that no matter what way you look at it, it might just very well be beyond our understanding, but it's absolutely worth wondering, discussing, contemplating, praying about, arguing over at a campfire, you know, with a beverage and a dear friend. It's absolutely worth discussing. But if we try to solve this, it can lead us down roads of despair or, more frighteningly, it can make us feel like we're right. And when we feel like we're absolutely right, this is how it works. And we've got it pegged. And we know that God is all-knowing and there is no freedom of will because everything is decided and everything happens for a reason. Now we've got a pat answer that we can give in an elevator but doesn't help anybody. If, however, we leave it be a mystery, not that we shouldn't try to solve it, not that we shouldn't discuss it, but if we can leave it be a mystery, and throw out onto the table the talking points. Well, that draws us closer together. It makes us wonder, well, what, what, what do you think? Right? So I've been talking here at you about, what, 20 minutes or so. I'm going to ask you, how do you reconcile 
Graham, <laughs> the all-knowingness of God, and Graham's free will. What do you think? Is this something that you can... Yeah, it's it's a, it's a big question, obviously, as you pointed out, and and I again, I really appreciate um, how you wrap that all around. That that was that was really awesome, and I I think for me, it, one of the things that you touched on was kind of exactly the way I've always thought about it was. I think that, and again, this is just my personal belief, um, and it's gone through. I'm and will continue to go through a series of evolution uh, as time goes on. And you it know. should, and right? it should exactly. That's a part of our faith process, right? Yeah, and we've talked about that in previous podcasts. You know, the kind of the evolution of faith and whatnot um, in various conversations. But I think, for me, it's I believe that God lays the framework and lays out these different options. I think in your life. And it's on you to take that free will, that, that your free will to choose the best route. And that sort of then lays, that, and that sort of dictates what your reality will look like moving forward. I think that's kind of the best way I can summarize it. Um, I like that. What, what, in that scenario, or is there ever a, a, a scenario that, or a choice given you where God would be very angry if you made that, uh, one of those decisions? Over another, the, the, you have two options in front of you, and you choose the Ooh. left one instead of the right one, or the right one instead of the left one. And, and is God pissed at you for that? Well, that kind of goes back into the whole everything happens for a reason. Maybe there is no quote unquote correct answer. Oh, interesting. Maybe there is everything, you know, what we define as being the correct choice in that situation. Um, maybe God doesn't view it that way. Maybe God views what we would view as the bad choice to be an opportunity to learn something and that leads to, you know, a better decision down the line. So it's more like you come to a, a crossroads in your life. Mm -hmm. You go one of nine different directions. Yeah. Every single one of them, totally up to you. And if you take door number four, you land at that new spot, then God says, okay, Graham, now let's go, let's do this. Exactly. I yeah. think I think each. So you still have the freedom of the will. It's not that God bound you to choose door exactly, four. Exactly. That's kind of what I was trying to get at. Is, yeah. is that He's not saying, "Here are the you know four or five options. I really want you to take this one." No. It's it's here are the four or five options, and then once you make that choice again, like I said, then He'll show you what you know lies in store from there. Perfect. That is not what. I think is what people mean when they say everything happens for a reason. My sadness is is that that is not what everything happens for a reason actually means. <laughs> because everything happens for a reason means it wouldn't have mattered had I chosen it or not chosen it, which means that my decision has not happened. Or if I, if I suddenly come down with a form of cancer, well, that's God's will then. No. Wrong. That I'm certain on. But God will turn the moment... Or give me the strength to see why and how I can use that moment in to, the future. Exactly. To, to learn from, to strive from, to improve from, to get healthy from. What is it in my lifestyle that was causing this to get me ill in the first place? Is it something I did? Or is it something in my genetic code that I'm not to blame for? Right? It could be all those things. But when people wrap it all down into a, everything happens for a reason, it's the same as to say to someone who just lost a baby... God needed another angel in well, exactly. or, yeah. The worst thing you yeah. can say. It's a horrible thing to say. That it, People who have a trauma in their life do not need to be told that that is a part of the master plan of their life. That's a horrible thing to say. Yeah. 
Have you ever had that where, like, I think another expression I've always heard is, and again, it's one of those things where the person is trying to show a sense of comfort, but right. is, it's just bad place, bad time, is uh, they're in a better place now. Yep, exactly. And I always think that, again, I, I've struggled with that expression for years. But I saw a guy at a funeral home standing next to the casket of his best friend. Somebody walks up and says, well, he's in a better place now. And that guy turned and said loudly in front of the whole room, said, I'm not. I'm in a less place and I'm in a lonely place because he's in a better place. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's actually a really nice response to the, and the other guys, oh, I'm, that's not what I meant. I, you know, and it was true. He was trying to offer a moment of hope. Then we do believe as, as followers of Jesus that going to a life everlasting in the presence of God, we pray that that is a better place. We hope that it's a better place, right? When we, that's just it. Yeah. But what about everybody else who remains and the sadness that is born there? I mean, it's just gut-wrenching, and it, those are not helpful statements. Anyway, to get back with the, you know, I, that's why I, when people say everything happens for a reason, they've discounted their own free will. They've discounted, like if a car accident happens, they've discounted the, their free will of themselves driving the one car. They discounted the, the, the free will of the other person driving the other car. Or they've discounted the manufacturers having a defaulty disc brake or something. You know, they've discounted any of that stuff. They've discussed, they've discounted the, the realization that there is random chaos that happens in our lives. They've discounted the, the will of the force in the universe that seeks us harm. And they've discounted the force in the universe that seeks us goodness and grace. All of that's discounted. They just, ah, it just was meant to be. Wow. That does not help with a sense of free will for me. Does not help with a sense of God's all-knowingness or God's godness. It just whittles it down into this little tiny thin phrase of, well, whatever. And then my response is, well, then why get out of bed? Yeah, if nothing, yeah. If everything, then don't do any decision. J just stay in bed and eat Oreos of milk because it, nothing matters. And I think the fact that I can choose to get out of bed, stop eating the Oreos with milk, and just maybe have, you know, an egg for breakfast. I really want Oreos and milk now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it empowers me to realize that, A, what I do in the world matters. It matters to me. It might matter to somebody else. And, in fact, that's my prayer in the mornings. That I hope that what I do today matters to somebody else. Maybe it's a moment of generosity. Maybe it's the car I let in and they're because they're on their way to the hospital and I'm not being a poop and I let them in and they got there sooner. Maybe that mattered. It's the small moments, right? It doesn't always have to be this huge act of generosity that... that Some of the most me. beautiful, philanthropic, generous moments are when people give what they really should not be giving. And they give it out of their meager lifestyle. And they suddenly give a hundred bucks to somebody and they don't have the hundred bucks and they give it. Jesus tells this parable, right? And he says, he watched these, this widow give two little copper coins and put it into the offering. And he says, truly, there's the most generous person here. No, that's a paraphrase. But that's the point is that she's giving not from her abundance, mm -hmm. but she's giving out of her sense of abundance, out of the meager thing of her meagerness of her possessions.
One, one pastor said one time, it's the, uh, how did Glenn's? He said, it's, it is the, the generosity that hurts yeah. me. My generosity that hurts me <clears throat> is the generosity that ultimately matters. You give to a level where my own wealth is diminished. There's something holy in that. Right. Right now, we can't do that all the time, obviously, because it screws up our finances and we end up you know, being poor financial managers. But in those rare moments when you give out of, uh, out of an abundance that you're not just giving over the extra money that you have, but the money that you're squeaking by and you, and you give, that matters. And that's the thing when we recognize that those little, tiny, small actions can have enormous human, deeply felt implications or result on the backside for somebody that we may never know, that is where I get really excited about this mystery about maybe God knew that I would do that. Maybe, maybe God encouraged me to do that moment. Maybe, and that's where I start thinking about, well, God knew that. Yeah. Right? But maybe that's cheap, too. Maybe it's, I shouldn't just ascribe my generosity as a God moment. Maybe that was a Mark thing. And I, see, I, and I go in circles. <laughs> and I just do. And it, that's, maybe, maybe that's the way I kind of preserve the mystery, is that I talk myself into the circles. And yet I find that that's important. It's important to my own faith journey that I not answer the questions, but still continually ask those questions. Because if I ask the questions, it keeps me answering them or trying to answer them, but leaving the door open. Well, again, your perspective changes over time. There right? you go. Like, yep. You know, yep. With and, age and whatnot, you just, I think it's impossible to ever settle on one certain answer, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's important that you don't. Mm-hmm. That you you're in, that you take some intentionality there to not settle on the answer and be fine, because then we convince ourselves that we're right, and then we don't need to discuss it or relearn it. Well, look at what the, we talked about with the past, with the, how the way the church has operated in the right. past. Exactly, and it's the exact yep. same f- mindset of mm-hmm. this is the way it is, and there's no other possible discussion that we can have about it. So. Yeah, right, and then we. The, the church, there's a hymn I shared this morning in my holy conversation. It's the, the hymn number 729, I think it is. The Church of Christ in Every Age, right? In the first lyric of that, the Church of Christ in Every Age, beset by change but spirit-led, must claim and test its heritage and keep on rising from the dead. I love that so much. It is absolutely fabulous to understand, to deeply claim your religious heritage and then test it. Don't take it like you got to drink the Kool-Aid. Don't check your brain at the door. Oh, listener, when you come to a worship service of any stripe, listen carefully to not what's being said, but how it is being said. Listen carefully for this word of God to come into you. And maybe it might feel a little indicting. Let that be okay because another word is coming that will set you free. If it's telling the truth, then Lutherans always try to tell the truth twice. We want to say the truth that I am broken. I am fallen. I am a sinner. But of God's redeeming. The story doesn't end with the brokenness. 
it ends with the love of God in Christ Jesus who claims me broken and won't leave me there. It is about a transformational relationship with a God who might know everything about me already, who might be able to see me telegraphing in advance what I'm planning on doing, and who might occasionally intervene to change my mind, but also might make me or allow me to make that decision and then readjust God's plan for my life. Bang. Okay. You went down that dark alley at 3 a.m. Okay. That's the platform, Mark. Where are you going to go? Down the alley or are you going to turn back to the street? Decide. I decide. Then God says, okay. There you go. Maybe you want to turn around. <laughs> the choice is still before you. Do you want to continue down the alley or do you want to turn around? Is that God knowing everything? Because God knows I have two decisions of going this way or that. Or is that my freedom of will? Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the question that we will continue to ask ourselves forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of echoing what you've been saying, I think the moments that God presents itself, himself, themselves in this... Um, in our minds is, you know, I was thinking about the example you said with, with, you know, someone getting a cancer diagnosis. It's not that God is showing themselves when that cancer is given, but it's that, that moment where you decide, okay, now what am I going to do with that diagnosis? God is always the author and source of life. Mm -hmm. Never illness, never death. That is not at all any part of scriptures, God's will for the life of us. God's right. will, especially in Christ Jesus, God's will is that, in fact, John 10, 10 says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, a full life, right? That's not abundantly as in, oh, big bank accounts and fancy Cadillacs. And if you want a Cadillac, just tell God what color. No, a full life of meaningful life-giving relationships, that's what we're talking about. And when we think of that, then wherever we are, God has decided God will use where you are as platform to reach other lives that you can touch then and there. And if it's a spot that you do not feel safe, understand that it isn't a final thing ever. God is a dynamic God that is moving, flowing, ebbing, um, shimmering, that God is constantly bubbly, never flat. And so if it's a spot in a relationship or a job that is caustic, you might have experience with that once upon a time. I know <laughs> I do. You don't have to stay there. No. Because if you decide on your own free will to change careers, jobs, and go into a new place, God will use that then. Might even use your departure as a blessing and shake up what was. Might open the door for somebody to ask, well, why are you leaving? And gives you the platform to say, well, here's why. Exactly, yeah. And if you enter into a new place, you can take your experience there and work to create a climate 
that is exactly not sick in what you've experienced to create a new work environment in a new spot. Or if it's already healthy, bring your experience of what was into this so that you can preserve your own health in a new system, right? And so everything becomes a platform opportunity to live out the life that God is wanting us to live. Not so that we get things shiny in a big bank account, whatever, but so that the world is a more trustworthy place. That is the calling of God in Christ Jesus of us on a daily basis. And we are to explore constantly and continually these questions that are absolutely important questions to both, at the one hand, shrink our thoughts about our relationship with God into something that's more concrete, and it simultaneously explode exponentially our concepts of our relationship with God or God's relationship with us so that we see ourselves not as meager sinners unworthy of God's love and attention, but in fact, heirs of the promise of God, daughters, sons, and heirs of all of these things that God is choosing to get involved with all the time. And then we were back to asking the question, of, well, does God know in advance what are the options? Yeah. And the answer to that is maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. And then we have to ask, what do you think? So, old listener. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah. We would love to hear your feedback. Um, yeah. Again, come over to our Facebook page. Um and and leave us some some comments send a message to Pastor Mark. You can find our info uh, online. Yeah, um, I love this conversation. I, thank you, Graham. Absolutely. Thank no, you for this, the was, this was this was something. It was one of those things where I I was just walking down the street um, during uh, my lunch hour uh, the other day, and it just the, the idea just popped into my head. I'm like, that is something that we haven't really explored yet, and for whatever reason, was just like super interesting to me in that second. So I'm glad that we kind of threw this together. And um, yeah, I think we got to some really interesting answers. But again, like we said, this is kind of one of those things where the question isn't fully ever going to be answered, you know? Right. And, and I, I would be almost interested to have other people on this podcast and kind of continue this as sort of a mini series within the podcast of, of free will. Very you know, cool. And it, maybe if we heard some of, of the listeners to this. Absolutely. It, but how, what are the little slices of this or corrections? If you have a disagreement with something that, that I or Graham have said, we would like to hear what your thoughts are on this. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, the, these questions are huge variations of words that I'm choosing to use. It might be understood a little bit differently or, you know, maybe I'm too narrow in the way I do this and people have a more broad perspective or maybe they want to entertain the question that I was asked in philosophy, right? Which was a sophomore year philosophy, a professor asked us this age old question. So when you consider all the omnis of God, all powerful, all creating, all present God, all, all knowing mm-hmm. the omnis, there's a Latin omni for each one of those and I forget them. But can the all creating God create a rock so big that our all-powerful God cannot lift. Mm. And then it's a circular, how a person discusses that makes a person either emphasize the power of God over the knowledge of God and the creative ability of God. One of them is going to be overly emphasized over the other, but Eventually, what you realize is it's a complete catch-22 because you cannot have in that question, all one omni will emerge, but you can't have all of them. Yeah. 
Because if he can build the rock, well, then he can't lift it. So now he's not all powerful. And if he, can, if he can't build the rock because he can lift it, well, then he's not all creating. Yeah. So you can't, anyway, that <laughs> would be another topic for now. Oh, I know. You know, you, you, we're, we're already setting up uh, future podcast episodes right here. I like it. I like it. So, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say thank you again, Pastor Mark, for doing this. Um, this was this was a lot of fun, and um, I look yeah. forward to to future conversations where this topic may find itself uh, again. Uh, just want to take a couple seconds here to do just some some housekeeping, uh, Pastor Mark. I want you to kind of just briefly tell the listeners we we just released an episode two weeks ago um, with right. Nicholas Tang. If you just want to talk a little bit more about that and encourage people to go check that out. Yeah. I would love for people to check out that episode. That is something that is beyond our local congregation and is well beyond Pastor Mark. This is uh, Nicholas Tang and he is the director of Faith Practices, Neighboring Practices. And we devoted an entire podcast to him. He works at the Minneapolis Area Synod. And in that podcast, we explain what the Synod is. And he talks about a way for any Christian community to engage in their neighborhood context. How do we be good neighbors to our actual neighbors or where our congregation is located, the church building, where, where it's located? And how do we put in some uh, listening practices in meaningful ways to the neighbor, mm-hmm. right? So we're not going out and, you know, trying to sell Jesus to people. This is a, we just need to re-engage in meaningful ways defined by them. How can we be good neighbors to our neighbors? And what is the, how do we hear, he made this point, which I thought was profound. How do we do a faith practice in our congregation that trains us to hear um, the voice of God more clearly within us so that when we're talking to our neighbors who do not share our faith at all, that we might actually hear God's voice through them. How do we do that? In ways that are respectful to their faith tradition or their secular belief systems. But we know that it's, it is the voice of God talking through them. We don't need to name it. We don't know. But how do we listen for the voice and the activity of God in our neighbors? And how, so we got to do faith practices amongst ourselves to sharpen our own faith pencil, if you will, and then go into the neighborhood to listen and to care in authentic ways to the needs of our next door neighbors. And that is what faith practices, neighboring practices is all about. And it's a wonderful, Nick is just a remarkable, remarkable leader and director of that process. So I hope you go and listen to that. Yeah, it was really, it was a great episode and, and definitely one of my favorites that we've produced. So uh, be sure to check that out. Speaking of where to listen to our podcast, um, we understand that not everybody has Spotify and we understand that everybody wants to pay for Spotify. So we are also available on a website called radiopublic.com. It's entirely free. Exactly. Um, and it Say is, the name again, Radio Public. Radiopublic.com. Uh, we have the link posted right now on our Facebook uh page and obviously uh st john's is actually going to be i don't know how much information we can give out but we are posting a new website um within i think the next couple weeks here so we'll have all you know the links and whatnot to that podcast um or to our podcast on that website so be sure to check that out there um but yeah you can listen on radio public for for free you don't have to sign up for spotify um if you don't want to Outside of that, yeah, we've been doing these podcasts now. Um, we're looking, we're doing them pretty much every other week now. So this will be uh, be fun to see where you know we can go with this and and who else uh, 
you know, what other guests we can get on. I mean, there's plenty of people, I think, in this congregation that would be really fascinating to talk to. So. Agreed. And we'd also love to hear from you. So, oh, listener, if you're out there and you have questions that you've wondered your entire life and no one's ever addressed, send an email to Graham or me or come to the church and talk to us. We'll just say, hey, you got to... You know, if you see me walking down the street and just go, hey, Pastor Mark, you got to do one on... Absolutely. We'd love to hear it. We want... I want to try and get at and unearth and discuss or even try to answer questions that people are really wondering about. Mm -hmm. For too many years, I've served in congregations where I, in fact, was answering questions nobody was asking. So, no, I was talking about boring. Good grief. So, we would much rather ask questions, answer questions, or get asked get after the questions that you really do wonder mm-hmm. about. So we want to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, without further ado, though, I think that will wrap, this, wrap up this episode of Faith in the Real World. I am Graham Zima. And I'm Pastor Mark. And until next time, God's blessings. Mm-hmm.